As a OneOuter.com podcast listener, we're offering a special discount for joining PokerXFactor.com in 2012. You can qualify for a massive $70 off your sign-up. All you need to do is enter promotional code OneOuter70. That's O-N-E-O-U-T-E-R-7-0. Gambler's Book Club. This podcast is recorded at the Gambler's Bookshop located in Las Vegas, Nevada since 1964. Howard Schwartz will be your host. In these podcasts, Howard will be interviewing authors and players of interest in the gaming world. He'll be talking about gambling books, computer software, videos that are available, and the gaming industry. And now, Howard Schwartz. Hi, this is Howard Schwartz at the Gamblers Book Club in Las Vegas. We're located at 5473 Southeastern Avenue in Las Vegas, located between Tropicana and Russell Road. Store hours of operation are Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. and Saturday from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Pacific Time. That's West Coast Time. You can reach us locally, 702-382-7555 or toll-free anywhere in the United States, 1-800-522-1777. Our email address, info, I-N-F-O, at gamblersbookclub.com. And right now we've got more than 157,000 people listening to us in 73 nations around the world. And I was informed today that uh, two of our best listeners, uh, large population, comes from in Great Britain at uh, Hertford, H-E-A. H-E-R-T-F-O-R-D in England, and welcome, and thank you for listening, and Bedfordshire, and also in Great Britain, in, in uh, England. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. I'll remind you now, and I'll remind you again, that the football season's not that far away. The magazines and the books are arriving now, so go to our website, and you can see what we've got, and stock up early and do your homework. And our guest today... Barry Chalmers from Scotland, from Dundee, Scotland. Fit like Min is how are you in Scottish, is that correct? Yeah, up in the north, sort of east coast, Aberdeen, they say fit like Min. That's how are you doing? He is the premier podcaster of Scotland, I believe. Well, if not the premier, one of the best, or soon to be the best. <laughs> and we're doing a sort of a he'll interview me and I'll interview him type of a, a format today. Uh, what brings you to uh, the United States? Um, well, thanks for that great introduction, uh, Howard. Um, I'm certainly trying to be one of the best uh, poker podcasts in Scotland. Um, I'm not sure how many other different podcasts and stuff there are, but um, I'm just here to sort of experience the World Series of Poker. It's the first time I've been to Vegas for the World Series of Poker, my second time in Vegas. Um, so I'm going to be playing a couple of tournaments, playing lots of cash games on the Strip. And, of course, I wanted to come to the Gambler's Book Club and see what the store was like. Well, thank you for uh, thinking about us and, uh, and telling people about us. And uh, Anybody from Scotland is welcome at the store at any time. Remember our hours. And, uh, we're not that far off the strip. We're about, if you took a taxi, it would be about uh, 10 minutes away, something like that. So uh, who have you interviewed? 
in in uh, in the way of uh, poker or gambling some of the bigger names yeah um the website sort of started as a way just a personal pet project for myself to just find out from these top players how can i sort of get tips for my own game so uh, there, there was no website i set out and spoke with the first guy was daniel cates uh, he's known as jungle man 12 online and obviously online poker in america you know is currently no go um, and he made five and a half million in something like one year um, and he was younger than me and I'd been playing poker so I said I'd like to speak to this guy so I approached them through um, Facebook um, saying I'd like to interview you and I didn't have the site at that time I just said for my blog and he agreed um, I was quite you know shocked at how easily I agreed so we set it up I got some recording software and I interviewed him for 30 minutes and he told me about his starting poker etc and once I did that one, I thought, well, maybe I could, you know, do this again with another player. Um, the second guy I got was Phil Helmuth, probably one of the best-known players in poker. Um, again, I approached Phil. Um, he agreed and said, I'll give you my time. I can give you 10 minutes. I says, when do you want to do this? And he says, let's do it now. Um, I hadn't prepared for the interview apart from a few notes I had on my desk in case I ever got them. So... He ended up giving me 30 minutes, uh, which was great, and it was the only interview I've done where we did both video and audio. Um, I was in Scotland, and he was in his uh, home. I think it's uh, is it Palo Alto? Is that correct? That could be. He was he was he's from Wisconsin. Yeah, Madison, Wisconsin. I, I'm originally. sure he was in Palo Alto when we did, and he sat there with his webcam on, and I sat and we recorded. He was an the amiable interview. individual. Yeah, I mean, you see him, you know, at the World Series, blowing up and. Uh, shouting at amateurs so he wasn't a poker brat he was yeah he wasn't he was absolutely one of the nicest guys that I've had on the podcast written several books and, um, uh, yeah written quite lots controversial of books. for his actions at the table shall we say yeah definitely but I think he likes that that makes part of his persona yeah I think he's done well from it he's built this huge brand and he just won his 13th bracelet um, sorry his 12th bracelet it was number 12 um, and yeah it's, he was an amazing guy so I thought this guy's won millions of dollars and he's given me 30 minutes of his time, you know, and I was learning from it. So the site sort of developed from that. Um, once I had Phil Helmuth and I approached other people, I think it was easier for them to sort of take me as credible. And He and opened the, the door for you in a sense. If you can interview Phil, I'm just as good as Phil, or if Phil says yeah. you're okay, then I'll, I'll be with you too. Definitely. Uh, who else? Uh, who are some of um, I've had Barry Greenstein on, author of Ace on the River, yes. that I'm sure you've got in the store here. Yes. Um, and he, again, Barry was amazing. He came on and gave me an hour of his time. And it was at the time when Full Tilt Poker had sort of blown up and it came out that they didn't have money to pay players. And he told me a quote, you know, he'd, he'd been speaking with Phil Ivey um, about the Full Tilt situation. And as soon as I got that podcast on, people started hearing that Phil Ivey, you know, so it got sort of legs of its own. And that podcast is still my highest downloaded podcast. Um, at the time, the media, poker media ran with it because Barry Greenstein was sort of saying, uh, yeah, I had Phil on the phone. He was, uh, you know, he was very angry. He was shouting and swearing and stuff. So they, they very much sensationalized it. Who else uh, would you like to uh, get? Uh, who are your priority people, if as such, not to not to uh, leave anybody out, but uh, yeah. Uh, uh, um, I'd love to have a guy you've interviewed, and I listened to the podcast that you did with him with Doyle Brunson. Yes. Um, obviously, you know I've read his book Godfather of Poker, and you just look at someone like Doyle Brunson, and it's just amazing. You know, if you play poker and you look up to that guy, I, I hope to see him at the Rio, and I can maybe. 
give him my card and something. Maybe organize well, some sort of thing. He's a very classy individual, so he probably will find some time yeah. for you. I'm sure everybody's going to want a piece of uh, <laughs> his, his time. And <laughs> he's getting up there in years now, so yeah. his energy level has to be conserved. Mm-hmm. Uh, anybody else? Yeah, I'd really like to interview uh, Phil Lack, um, the Unabomber. He's known as the poker player. He always plays with his hood over his head and stuff like that. Yes. Um, he wrote an article in one of the poker magazines um, and it was all about money management in the Kelly Criterion and it was the first article I'd read on that and it kind of changed my life almost in terms of the way I was gambling. Don't Just forget a, about a book called Fortune's Formula which is the history of... Poundstone, I've read oh, that. Oh, you have yeah, read it? it's it, excellent. Um, and actually Phil Lack recommended that book in the same article. He says you have to read this William Poundstone Fortune Formula He's banging on about the Kelly criterion, you know, until the evolution you, and application of it, yeah. which is vital. Without that, you're lost. Yeah, I found Fortune's Formula to be one of the best books I've ever read. Um, the way that it told the story, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure it was the same book. It was about organized crime. They discussed, they discussed a little bit of uh, of uh, Thorpe being sponsored Thorpe. by a, a, a mob person yeah. when he first started in the fifties. Yeah, and then they also um, discussed. The, it was how he attempted to take on the markets, sort of using yes. the sort of beat the dealer. You and know, that's the application that. today. You're using yeah. a percentage of bankroll and uh, and not risking your entire uh, bankroll at one time. Yeah. So I'd love to have Phil Lack, you know, and have a great chat with him. And he's a very colourful guy. And Negreanu, would you? I'd love to have Daniel Negreanu on. I've approached Daniel a couple of times, but as yet he's never uh, never responded back. I'll try to tackle him in the hallway okay. uh, for you if I'm <laughs> up there. Uh, yeah. I got him to autograph some books for people a few years ago, but he's elusive because everybody wants yeah, time. Everybody. And uh, they try to devote as much energy as they can to the games, but they, they get fragmented by the public sometimes with great yeah. hero worship type uh, situations. Definitely. Any other people? beside poker uh, uh, people that you've um, wanted to interview yeah I would love to get maybe as the site develops I'd maybe not to um, sort of go for like main gamblers but maybe gamblers that can apply it to you know because everything applies I've listened to um, lots of your podcasts Uh, when I found the website I went through your archives and downloaded I can't remember I, I went through them and I I started downloading just the poker ones and some of the old Vegas stories and sports betting. But then I started just downloading everything because I've learned from gambling, there's little snippets you can apply, you know, from even things like horse gambling into poker and vice versa. So I just went, I might be missing something, I'll just download it. So I've listened to quite a lot. Common denominators like uh, discipline and research and patience and leaving the table a winner if you can. Yeah. How about women? Uh, Are are there many um, English women poker players? Yeah, there's um, quite a few on the scene now. There's one called Liv Bury, who is a poker star's uh, sponsor pro. Um, She's won an EPT. And there's also Victoria Corrin. You might have her book. Um, It's a really good book. For richer or poorer. I think it's for richer or poorer. Victoria Corrin. She's also won an EPT. Of course, you've got Annie Duke. Annie Duke. Um, How about what is the uh, the uh, Scottish uh, public's uh, uh, perception of women gamblers or women poker players? Is is it thumbs up or thumbs down? um, I think in terms of Scottish perception, it's pretty much indifferent. Um, The thing about Scotland and and Britain in general, actually, is gambling is sort of not really frowned upon. 
Um, it's very open. There's betting shops, you know, bookmakers, pretty much on every high street. In fact, in the last few years, it's pretty much the only growth industry. Um, in my local town, city, Dundee, um, lots of old buildings and stores, you know, that used to house other shops, they've closed down. And they're now actually betting shops, whether it's William Hill or Ladbrokes or any of these other British-based betting shops. So, and the national lottery we have, you know... Um, it started off once a week. I knew you were going to be here. I would have asked you to get me a lottery ticket. From <laughs> I'd have to ask you to cash it in, too. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. a big one. Yeah, we, we'd, we'd split it. <laughs> I like to bet the, the lottery in California. It's a fun thing. It's all random. If the man upstairs yeah. wants you to win, you win. That's There's it. There's no methodology. Yeah. It's just a fun uh, occupation for yeah. me. What other areas of gambling have you gotten inter- interested in beside uh, poker? Is that your main area? Well, from a personal point of view, um, I've always been a sort of a bit of a wheeler-dealer, you know, buying things and selling things. Um, antiques and collectibles is what I started off. I mean, I'm 28 now. When I was 12, 13, I was buying and selling antiques and collectibles. And you were very astute, like a child with stamps or coins, and you knew what was valuable, yeah. or comic books for Americans. Yeah, it was just uh, a case, again, possibly applying it to gambling, it was just a case of information asymmetry. I knew something that these people didn't in terms of value. Uh, they asked the price, and I would say, well, it's worth more than that. So, yeah, here... So you watch these shows like The Storage Wars and Pickers, where they go around the country I've just started watching storage. Signs. I've just started watching Storage Wars in the UK, and I'm absolutely hooked on that programme. I, I, somebody, <laughs> somebody the other day bought a bunch of luggage, yeah. and he wasn't sure what it was worth. But in one of the bags, they opened it up. It was a Krugerrand in there. Wow. And the man who said, you know, that coin alone is worth... Uh, whatever the price of gold was, at fifteen hundred dollars yeah. an ounce. He yeah. said, I paid for it all at once. Yeah. I imagine it hooked everybody on that. Yeah. I've only done it once at uh-huh. a storage facility, and uh, you really have to know what you're looking for and have. And if you don't, if you make a mistake, where do you put all this stuff? That's so it. Just yeah. leave it there. <laughs> it's uh, somebody else. So that's um, there's a there's a there's a collectible show at the South Point I think coming up next oh. week. Uh, or is it this week? I believe it is, well, this weekend. But it's coins and, and gambling memorabilia and things. Okay. Like that. I don't want to divert you from the Rio focus <laughs> you've got, but there'll be a lot of people selling all kinds of gambling memorabilia things up yeah. there. Uh, how did you find out about the store for the first time? Uh, who told you about it? Was it the-, the first time I found about the store is I've been playing poker five years, and when I start doing anything, I become sort of like almost obsessive I throw all my energy I focus on it and I used to jump from thing to thing but now I really going back to your question about gambling if I tried other things from a personal point of view I was um, as a young from a youngster I was addicted on slot machines Um, in the UK slot machines is just rife everywhere um, in little... Like, they call the fruit machines? Fruit machines, yeah. they call They it? call them fruit machines yes. in the UK, yeah. So um, they're on, we'd go on holiday, you know, as a family, and we'd stay on little holiday parks, and there would be, like, a clubhouse for the adults. And the kids' place was f- slot machines, fruit machines. And I would spend all my holiday money on the first day or second day. You know, I'd either win or I'd lose. And I would blow through money. And the problem... Did you get an allowance? Yeah, and it I, it was gone. <laughs> well, what was an allowance would be? Um, uh, I don't know. When we were on holiday, pound? you know, I'd maybe get five pounds, five pounds? Uh, which That's is like eight dollars or something. Um, and I would gamble it all. And 
me and my brother, um, my brother's three years younger. I'm from quite a big family. Um, I've got a few brothers and sisters. And my younger brother, we'd, we'd go and gamble. We'd literally get on trains from when we were like 14 to a little town or city outside Dundee. And we'd go and gamble on slot machines because there's no age limit in the UK. You can play fruit machines from... You know, ten, eleven, twelve. Did you win anything big? Oh, we won. We won like big, but not. It was never enough. You know, we'd win maybe a hundred pounds, which is one hundred and fifty dollars, and we'd go and have you know treat ourselves to some fast food or something, and then haggis. Uh, <laughs> not haggis, um, although haggis is very nice, and I can recommend it to anyone that's Let's never tasted it. That. Uh, haggis is the national dish of Scotland. Haggis and a, a wee dram of whiskey, as we call it. A little, a little glass of whiskey. At your age, were you having a little dram? Um, no, I, I would say I'm maybe slightly before the legal age. I little, right, a little right. drink now and again. But I gambled all my money, and I sort of went from I went the natural fruit machines, lost all my money, and won sometimes. Then into horse racing. Once I was eighteen, I could get into the bookmakers, and I would bet greyhounds everything. You have greyhounds in Scotland? Yeah, greyhounds. Then I went to Scotland. Uh, Scotland. <laughs> then I went to university and studied economics and finished my degree. And I got more into business. I would go to Hong Kong and China and import memory cards, computer parts. And once I started making money with that, the sort of natural urge in me to gamble just sort of fell away. And I never really got back into gambling again until poker, which was five years ago. And I found that sort of satisfied my risk-taking and gambling need but I could do it in a very managed way and I saw I started reading up and I saw well there's a way to beat this game and you know and, and win in the certain games so that pretty much was my progression what did your parents think of all this my dad is a gambler I mean he would gamble my mum's my mum's money his money everybody he was in my banky as a youngster you know <laughs> my little piggy bank and my mum tells me stories and my dad tells me stories and we laugh now but my dad says, you know, at the time he was that was his occupation, gambler. Um, no, he was a you know he was a painter and decorator. A painter. Um, but he gambled, you know, a lot, and he would have big wins. And I, we look back the Scot as a Scottish person, we have a very sort of dry humour and a very sort of way of looking at things with a smile. And even now, my mum would tell me stories and she would laugh. I mean, my mum and dad are divorced now, but they would say, um, I remember your dad coming home one night and he'd been out gambling at the casino and I locked the door and says, you know, you're not getting in, you know, tonight, you've been away gambling and he'd had a big win so he stuffed uh, some big £50 notes and threw the letterbox and my mum instantly opened the door <laughs> so, Magic, eh? <laughs> like magic it's, it's the same thing in this country Yeah, <laughs> so I, I think from a young age it was kind of set in stone that I've, I've always, I originally wanted to get into trading and I've, I've done trading myself um, a lot of financial trading and no matter what I do, it's like the Godfather. No matter how many times I want out, it pulls me back in gambling. Yeah, I'm always going to be involved in whether it's poker, whether it's you know trading. Um, it's there's, there's always going to be that risk. I, 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 there's no point fighting it. You know, it's just like a sense of managing. And of course, it. you've got the Bank of Scotland, which has been very active in, <laughs> in, in internet they love uh, transactions. <laughs> Yeah, what kind of an interest rate do you get on on money in in the uh, Scottish banks? I mean, um, I think. Well, what was the best you could ever I expect? I think the best you could ever expect, sort of like up until the the credit crunch and the financial crisis. I think if you were paying in 
like a set amount each month. Different banks varied. You would be looking at maybe five to six percent per annum. That was many years ago. That was many years ago. Now I wouldn't like to hazard a guess at what it is. A little background on uh, Scotland for those who are not familiar with the with the country. Uh, Edinburgh's your your capital. There's more than yeah. seven hundred and ninety islands that make up uh, Scotland. Yeah, is there's still lots of islands. Um, uh, Glasgow is the number one city in size. And uh, Aberdeen is an oil capital. Is yeah, that, that correct. And the uh, uh, you had five million population. Yeah, Scotland's about five, five and a half million. Your area code is forty-four. Yeah, that's the is country that, code. Correct. Yeah. And a lot of people may not know that John Paul Jones and Andrew Carnegie both uh, emigrated from uh, uh, I, Scotland. I knew, I knew Andrew States. Carnegie did. And and today it's 108, 109 degrees in Las Vegas as yeah. we speak. And the warmest you've ever experienced, perhaps, is 91. That's what the record is. For, <laughs> it's listed on the internet, and uh, that's uh, nine years ago. And it, it got that high. And it's, it's gotten as low as uh, minus 27. Well, to give somewhere <laughs> to to give you an idea, when I left Edinburgh for Las Vegas um, two days ago, I think the temperature was around 10 degrees. Um, yeah, centigrade that is so whatever that is you know about uh, 60 I think yes. yeah about 60 by the way I understand there's a sport uh, of strange sport called haggis hurling okay yeah somebody uh, uh, launched 1.5 pound uh, pounds of haggis 180 feet 10 inches <laughs> That's the record. <laughs> Apparently, it must be like a discus. Yeah, a discus, but just use a haggis. Haggis is the heart, liver, and lungs, onions, and uh, oh, uh, that's your native dish. Uh, suet, salt, and s- sausage casing. Yeah. And uh, neeps and tatties. Yeah. It's turnips yeah. and potatoes, <laughs> deep fried in butter. It's not like a cooking show here. Yeah. From, and uh, and uh, there's something called today called a flying Scotsman. Flying Scots. There was a movie made by that time, about there was bicycle also, racing. There was a train, a famous steam train, steam engine train called the Flying Scots. Here it says chicken breast and haggis, uh, chicken balmoral wrapped in bacon. Yeah. So, and uh, Stan- Sandy Lyle, a 1988 Masters golf champion, hosted a haggis dinner at the Masters in, in Augusta, Georgia. That's right. So those are little things I found. And famous Scots, did you know, Campbell soup, armor meats, Kellogg breakfast cereal, McDonald's hamburgers, the man who founded Taco Bell, Glen Bell, was Scottish blood, and uh, Arch West who created Doritos, and 23 American presidents of Scottish or Scotch-Irish descent. Yeah. And, uh, and so I'll leave that. We're the background information. We're the real Renaissance uh, nation, Scotland. <laughs> so what do you hope to do? What What do you hope to achieve? Uh, what are your dreams? Can you think that far ahead? Do you want to be the uh, sort of uh, the voice of Scotland on uh, on, on the internet. Uh, how would you rank yourself? Because I don't know how many uh, podcasters there are, or, sport, or newscasters as such there are in Scotland. But is this a growing area, and where do you see yourself? Um, in terms of Scottish podcasters, I couldn't tell you another one um, just now. Certainly in terms of poker, I'm probably the only guy in Scotland um, doing a regular poker podcast. Um, certainly with the names you know, and, and uh, I've had on um, the site was always a sort of I like yourself, before we started the interview you said you were a bit of a procrastinator Howard and I'm exactly the same um, I find that when I get into some, once I start I sort of tend to 
stay with it till it's finished. But it's getting started sometimes. Um, and I'm surprised, you know, I started oneouter.com um, and I've just sort of kept adding the interviews. Um, I've always saw it as a way to benefit myself in terms of learn from these top poker players. You know, it's like um, the inspiration for the website was a book called Market Wizards, which is an interview, a sort of book that details interviews with all the market traders and top guys on Wall Street. And I thought it would be great to do that with, you know, poker players and learn from these guys. Um, so just keep building the site, um, improve my poker game and build my bankroll and, you know, hopefully... How many podcasts do you hope to do while you're here at the Rio? Um, well, what I'm going to do while I'm at the Rio is I'm going to see a few guys that I would like to have on uh, the podcast and I'll approach them. And obviously, I know a lot of them are busy just now playing, etc. And, you know, speaking from personal experience, when you get the dinner break, you want to go eat food and get back in. So I think in terms of approaching them for interviews on the spot, I'll probably just give them my business card and say, I do the podcast. I've had a few, you know, Phil Helmuth, Barry Greenstein on. Um, I'd love to have you on and see see who I can get on. Do you do any background research before you interview them? Or just kind of uh, hoof it, as they say in this country, you, you know, just uh, wing it? Well, I, I do. When I had Phil Helmuth on, although the interview happened pretty much, um, I caught me off guard saying, let's just do it now. I had on my desk a little bullet points, you know, but I don't like to research too much because I think it becomes a little bit robotic. I like to sort of try and build a rapport with the guys um, speak with them and try to get them to say something they've never said before, <laughs> yeah. or, or get them to open up the real self. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think Phil, even though it was only my second podcast, I think when I listened to that, it still really is a good. What happened was is I checked him on the HendonMob.com, you know, the poker database. Yes. And I went back to his original first ever cash that's documented, and it was in something like 1988 or 1987. And my first, the open interview was like, hi, Phil, you know, such and such. I checked your first cash. It was back in Reno for something like $4,000. And instantly he was like, oh, wow, you know, this is... And he remembered, and it took him back there. And so it's a good thing to know that you've done your homework, and and, yeah. and they know that you've, uh, you know, just shoving a microphone yeah. in their face. I think it's common courtesy as well and nice to sort of these guys are giving me time at the end of the day and they're very wealthy individuals and for them to give me their time the least I can do is you know do a bit of research but yeah I like to have a sort of open chat like we're having here That so it goes one way you can talk and if it goes another way then it's fine as well, well to say Americans go to Scotland to vacation or they go to United Kingdom they visit Scotland and Ireland and places like that uh, you mentioned greyhound racing I, I owned a greyhound at one time and, oh, yeah. uh, and uh, a whole classmate of mine is the head of the National Greyhound Association in Abilene, Kansas. So, uh, how many tracks do they have, and how many poker rooms would you estimate you have? Um, in terms of greyhounds, we used to have a track actually in Dundee, a greyhound track, and it was on the the, the soccer stadium, uh, my local team, Dundee Football Club, and they used to have a racetrack round the pitch um, to get extra six income traps, for the club at night. Six, six, six traps, yeah. And again, going back to it's when six I was six boxes. Uh, yeah, six boxes compared to the United States, would have eight or nine sometimes. Um, they would. T that was again going back. My mum and uh, my mum's boyfriend at the time, they took me and my brothers out to the Greyhounds for a night, and I was only fifteen, and I was 
sort of going, oh, I want a bet and going to have to give my money to my mum to put the bets on and stuff. But the bookmakers took all my bets, even though it was 18. Um, they were, I was only betting a pound a race, which is about a dollar sixty or something. And it was one of the best nights we ever had. But sadly, the Greyhounds, um, it it's, stopped. It's fading. It, it is fading. Populace because yeah. it costs so much to feed them and the money coming in... Uh, to feed in the purses are getting smaller. It's happened in this country too. Yeah. What about the poker rooms? Uh, how many would you estimate? Or uh, how are they different than those in the United States? What can a person going to Scotland? Yeah. If you're coming to Scotland, there are um, in terms of the local casinos, there are cash games in Dundee where I'm staying. The population's only about 130,000 people, and there are two casinos both with full poker card rooms now if you come if you've played poker in vegas and then you come to scotland you're kind of in for a shock in terms of the choice of games because the biggest games in my local casino would be sort of one pound two pound which is like like one two poker beginners level. yeah one two poker beginners through in edinburgh and glasgow they maybe get as big as five ten which would be about the same as maybe a ten twenty um sort of dollar like Who, hold is it conducted the same do the players deal or do the, does the house have a deal in, in the tournaments um, a lot of them are self deal now because I think the casinos just say there's not a lot of money you know from the poker rake and uh, to get the tournament so in a lot of the tournaments they are self deal uh, at the cash games they're usually all dealer deal do, do you pay by the hour or do they have a rake uh, they rake they rake what about books on, on gambling in the in United Kingdom or in Scotland, uh, is there a variety of, of, of things available, or is it hardly anything? Um, well, in the, in the the bookstores, well, the, the the larger bookstores that are are still left um, in Scotland, um, there are there are gambling books, but the choice isn't great. I mean, when I walked in here, you know, I'm sitting in the Gamblers Book Club. I I don't know where to start. I'm going to have a good look after the interview and you know pick up something for myself, but I don't know where to start. I mean, the choice is just uh, amazing, and I think it's great. Um, one of the reasons why I was coming here, you know, whether we were doing the interview or not, is because um, although I'm 28, I was saying before the show, I'm very nostalgic with Vegas. The last time I was in Vegas, it didn't feel like Vegas to me till I went down to Fremont Street. That's what I had pictured in my mind in the feel. A lot um, has changed down there too. A lot as well. You know, I went the first time I went was two years ago, and when I walked into Binions and stuff, it's quite sad to see all the empty poker tables. And um, but I still love the feel of that place. I mean, I stayed at the Bellagio last time, and I had much more fun down on Fremont Street. I'm actually staying one night. Um, I'm staying here for two weeks, but I've booked um, two different hotels. I've booked one night at the Golden Nugget uh, downtown. So I'm going to move my bags and stuff just to experience it down there for a full sort of twenty four hours. What uh, games do you play? I play mainly. Well, I still we still have online poker in uh, Great Britain, um, which is great. And going back to how open they are, I mean, there's no taxation on gambling winnings in Great Britain. It's all tax free, um, which is amazing. So I play mainly online poker tournaments on Poker Stars, um, but I also play live tournaments. Now and again, if they come up, they are of a like decent value. Play rather than cash games. Or I, I prefer tournaments. I, I used to find when I played cash games, I'm I'm a bit too much of a steamer. You know, I've got the red hair, the Scottish temperament. Oh. Sort of, it's you very. Let your emotions run you a little. So too I much. used to a lot more. Now, not so much. I mean, I played some cash games today at the Bellagio, and I, I like cash, but I just cash is great because you can stop and start as you wish. 
Um, the games I play online are turbo games, so they last a maximum of two hours usually. So I can also stop and start, you know, two-hour sessions. I used to play a lot of big field multi-table tournaments, but they were very telling on my my sort of well-being and my relationship because with my girlfriend, um, I would sometimes play for like ten hours and then she finish. with you now? No, she's not. She's uh, at university, finishing her university course back in Dundee just now. So I've got two weeks in Vegas on my own. Will you be writing a book about your adventures or some articles? Rather, uh, yeah. Uh, also with a podcast. Yeah. I, what I plan to do is um, once I've finished a few more people that I really want to get on the podcast. I'm going to take the best bits of each interview um, and do a sort of conversation with uh, sort of poker players type book. Why don't you write an article for uh, uh, books like um, Lonely Planet, you know, Travel Guides or something like that? And yeah. You could mention the store, of course. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, tell people uh, the, the offbeat places to go while you're in Las Vegas. You know, take some notes, keep a little diary of your adventures. I'm sure yeah. somebody will publish it. Uh, yeah. Uh, was it Edinburgh Times or something like that? Um, there's there's the Herald, that's famous Scottish paper. And um, by the way, there were two gentlemen, and uh, I think University of Edinburgh a few years ago. I, I can't remember their names, and I think they presented the paper on the subject, and they it was on sports betting, mm-hmm. and uh, the fascinating stuff to. Uh, to see the the English approach to, uh, to uh, betting sports and yeah. looking for an edge and so on, and I think that uh, everybody in the United Kingdom's looking a little uh, uh, differently at gambling. I remember many many years ago when it was uh, thumbs down, yeah. and uh, they finally opened it up gradually for advertising and things of that sort. You know, you couldn't have, you'd have to get a membership card in England to. Uh, and be in the city more than 24 hours and I think those chains have fallen away so to speak yeah well snooker's a big sport um, in, in Scotland and the UK and they used to be sponsored the world championships of snooker used to be sponsored by and darts too I think aren't you big on darts over yeah there? darts yeah um, they used to be sponsored by a lot of tobacco companies and the government banned that um, tobacco companies sponsoring sporting events but now they're all sponsored by online casinos and casinos um, so yeah there's a definite as I said it seems to be like most British children when they go on holiday to seaside towns and coastal places they're all lots of fruit machines and slot machines and people gamble from a young age there's something about it in the UK well, sort of culture I think the Australians are even worse than the Americans right. or people from the United Kingdom because yeah. they'll bet on two flies crawling up the <laughs> side of a wall that was a book yeah. by that title and yeah and uh, I, it was something about the adventurousness or the uh, something about the history like Americans uh, gambled a lot in the 19th century because they never knew after they discovered gold would they be killed by Indians so they were in there gambling like crazy because it would, they didn't live to be uh, in the 60s and 70s like they do today they, you never knew what was going to happen tomorrow so there's sort of a danger in, in, and maybe there's a little bit of boredom and, and fear about the future so live while you can today yeah I think there's that sort of uh, carp diem isn't it you know seize the day Um that mentality, the Scots, and st- there's this, there's a sense of romance about gambling as well. And I know a lot of people maybe say that's not the case, but like I say, again, I say there's something. I mean, about this place, even as an institution, you guys been going 47 or 48 years, um, a whole bookstore dedicated to gambling. And you look at the titles, and there's, you know, it's through the ages, gambling through the ages, and 
that chance has played a role, you know, in whether people wish to believe that or not. And I think if you can educate yourself and a lot of well, people... There's a tie-in with religion and, yeah, and, and faith. And mysticism and, and everything. So, Have you got a lucky number or a superstition? No, I used to have things like that. But thank, thankfully, um, the more books I've read, I'm trying to get all You're that out of my head. very objective and <laughs> scientific now. I, I used to play poker tournaments. And the, if you could listen to what went on inside my head, you know, I would probably be certifiable. It would be questioning life if this card came... I've had that card again, so this means such and such. You know, and I think every gambler's went through that. But a guy, you might even have his book here, um, Jared Tendler, he wrote The Mental Game I of Poker. Him, yes. Yes. Really He's great a teacher. guy. Yeah, yes, really he great guy. Um, he, he was originally a sports psychologist with golfers. Yes. And he took, I had him on the podcast um, on oneouter.com, and he came back and gave me like a free consultation. And it was the best thing that I ever got. You know, it cleared it to- your mind. Cleared my mind. He's related to an old-time boxer, right? Lou Tendler, who fought in the 1930s or so. Right. There's something almost sort of hypnotic about even the way he talked and delivered. You know, his lines, and it, it just made me be a lot more objective and logical and stop. Just play the numbers, play the edge. You know, and uh, proper money management. You know, that's sort of the hopefully the stage I'm at, unless Vegas grabs me. <laughs> now that I've asked you a lot of questions, how about turning the tables on me, so to speak, uh, literally, and uh, ask me a few things that maybe uh, people back in Scotland might be interested in, or just get my opinion on anything. Yeah, I think it's quite um, interesting. You know, a podcaster, it's the first time I've interviewed another podcaster. So um, if we just sort of like about a little bit about your background, um, are you a gambler yourself? Um, is that what got you I was it? I was uh, A. Alvarez in his book, uh, Biggest Game in Town, which came out in 85, I believe, uh, called me a frightened, diffident uh, ex college teacher, which is what I am. <laughs> I mean, I played in a few tournaments. My hands were shaking so bad. It was a free roll tournament, which means it didn't cost you anything to get in. But uh, they almost carried me away from the table. My blood pressure goes up. My hands were shaking. I was sweating. It was all, you know, it's like a heart attack. I played, and I, I, I finished second in one of the tournaments. I'd only read the Sklansky book the night before. But I, I, don't, I don't have the disposition to make a, a, a bet or gamble for a long period of time. I like to bet sports once in a while. I'd estimate in 30-some-odd years, I'm ahead $1,600, which comes out about 50 cents a week. <laughs> and if you subtract the cost of the gasoline and valet parking, I'm pretty much even. But uh, as the British like to say, uh, I, had, uh, I had a flutter. You know, yeah. it's the adrenaline uh, rush. I had that. And I still have it once in a while, but I like to make a bet and, and not go back bet every week. I'll bet for the entire season. I'll, I'll bet. The, I'll pick a team for the uh, pro football season. I'll put 10 or $20 down. And I think last year I made two bets and I won a total of $38. So <laughs> that's the type of better I am. I'm more of an observer. I'm a librarian for gamblers. I'm not a gambler and I'm not an expert on every aspect of every game, but I, I can direct people to the right resource. Yeah. So um, when I first walked in the store, I mean, it's it's just amazing. I was I knew there was going to be, you know, obviously a lot of books, but it's just it's amazing the this sort of scale. Um, what obviously you need to have a passion, you know, for gambling to to do this. Well, I 
you have to develop a passion for it. Whatever you enjoy doing, do it better than anybody else can do it and do it in a, a very unique and memorable way. I guess maybe my personality, I have a Brooklyn accent, but I've lived in uh, 25 different states over the past 30, 40 years. This is my last stop. I'm not uh, traveling anymore at my age. I'm 72 now. But uh, I enjoy doing it. When I first got here, I didn't know very much about gambling, a little bit about poker and horse racing and so on. And I had to do two magazines. One was casino and sports, one was systems and methods. And I had to interview gamblers and I had to learn the, the language of the gamblers and the, and the slang and the history and, and uh, who was a good guy, who was a bad guy, who had credibility, who was an expert, who was just an author and who was a phony. So that, that you know, you have to learn the hard way. It was like going to school. I, I think I did a fair above average job because uh, a lot of people opened doors for me after I interviewed them. They said, oh, he's a good guy, he's objective, you know, he's not trying to smear me or make fun of me and, and, and so on. And each person helped me, uh, Lem Banker helped me, int uh, introduced me to sports gamblers and uh, people in horse racing said, why don't you call so-and-so? Or, or when they had a book, they were, uh, they were happy to come in. Uh, Andy Beyer, one of the great horse... Uh, handicappers and authors of all time said he wanted to do the uh, book signing for his new book uh, in the store not a chain store but he wanted a place where he felt comfortable and he was among friends who understood gambling and so I began to understand the mind of the gambler and it, uh, it's come in handy yeah you just mentioned Andy Byer there I was reading the book over on the plane um, the Hundred the guy with the hundred thousand dollar breasts is that what's uh, the title? Well, that's uh, he. I think he's mentioned in that. He's book. mentioned in that. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so that book was written by Michael Connick. Connick, yeah. And the uh, the title we better explain it. Not, not <laughs> drop that one off. Uh, this was uh, I can't remember his name, but uh, he did it on a poker bet. He Zembek. Yeah. Uh, Zembek is he's been in the store, yeah. and he still got him. <laughs> And he did this on a, on a bet with some uh, somebody. He says, I, "I bet you don't do this." Uh, you know, I think some of these poker players are a little uh, wild, shall you know, between golfing and betting on this. And that it maybe goes back to the Titanic Thompson days, who was you know, he played poker and he bet he could uh, throw a watermelon over a roof, and he'd throw a watermelon about the size of an orange over the roof, yeah. and he'd set things up. It was like a sting, you know. And uh, I could hit a golf ball a half a mile because he'd do it on a frozen and Lake and things yeah. like that. The, you, maybe you saw a scene like that in the movie Tin Cup with Kevin Costner. Yeah. But, uh, uh, yeah, that's an interesting book. It's it's out of print, but a lot of people haven't haven't read it. Uh, Archie Karras is in that book. Yeah. And uh, it was a nice collection of, uh, of uh, strange, uh, on-the-edge uh, characters who have survived through their wits. Yeah. Well, saying that, you must have seen a few strange, you know, and interesting characters, you know, in your in your time in Vegas. Did you have any sort of meeting with Stu Unger or any encounter? Yes, with I had him? dinner with Unger and his wife and daughter a few times. Uh, in fact, Lem Banker invited me, and uh, uh, I interviewed him. He was a little antsy and a little twitchy. At the, at the, he didn't feel comfortable doing it. I understood that, but he was a brilliant kid with a probably a photographic mind and a tremendous instinct. He was a great gin rummy player. 
the movie that uh, the man behind the shades with Michael Imperioli never really did him justice uh, a little bit, uh, but it was the Hollywood version of. But but Stu Unger was uh, one of a kind. Um, if he had not used uh, drugs, cocaine, uh, even if he never played another day of poker again, he would be a multimillionaire today. Because yeah. Just in the, a cons- of course he he would want to play. Yeah. And uh, but uh, he's a brilliant, uh, unusual individual, one of a kind. True. Yep. People always sort of say that if he was around today, he would still in these massive fields at the Rio now. You know, he would love that with the camera. Oh, they'd have still on good t-shirts and shoes, yeah. and uh, uh, but uh, you know, he wasn't disciplined. He would he would win a million dollars. A story in one of the books uh, um, showed that he won a million dollars in poker, and then uh, he couldn't get the money uh, until he had a social security card, <laughs> and he rushed down and he threw a hundred dollar bill on the table at some government office and said, "Well, get me a social security card, and then the next, please." Three, you know. He was managed to get the money, but he had bet it as fast as he, he lost it. He was a degenerate sports better, I think. Yeah. So they must, all these characters, you know, um, before I came out here, um, before I knew I was going to be on the podcast, I discovered uh, that you guys did a podcast. And like I was saying, I, I downloaded over 10, maybe more um, episodes and listened to them while I was playing online poker. I prefer to sort of listen to interviews and audio tapes rather than music. I find it better. And some of the guys, you know, you've interviewed Doyle Brunson, um, obviously one of the biggest names in poker. Um, who's your favourite guy that you've been on? It doesn't have to be poker. Who's your sort of favourite guest that's sort of colourful character that you just really enjoyed? Well, I think Lem Banker uh, is, is among the best because he he's from New Jersey and uh, uh, he, he knew... Uh, uh, a lot of characters when he was younger. He's changed his ways. and He's 85 years old, just had a, a birthday party about uh, three months ago in May, May 4th. And uh, tremendous background. I mean, he was almost broke once and uh, uh, came back. He knows money management. He knows he does his homework uh, as well as anybody in the business and is, is a survivor of four or five generations. A lot of people don't know who he is today, but they can learn an awful lot from him in the book that he wrote, The Lembank on Sports Betting. But he's he's one of my favorites and a good friend, so I'm kind of biased in that direction. And, of course, uh, Brunson was very easy to talk to. You know, very colorful background. They've got so many things to uh, to draw from, and there's a sense of humor about them. And uh, Beth Raymond was also very good. Dusty Schmidt, uh, known as a Leatherass. Uh, yeah. You know, how people get these nicknames. Archie Karras was great. You know, Archie, Archie is uh, holds nothing back and uh, you know lets it all loose. And, yeah. Uh, uh, they'll maybe one day do a movie about him. I don't, he'd love to, to have the movie made. But, <laughs> but there's Archie for you. But the poker players and sports betters and and uh, are, are probably some of the best. Yeah. Oh, and then there was a, a man uh, who used to be a, a police officer in New York who wrote a book called um, "You Can't Make This Up." Uh, you know, you can't make this up. And he's this is book. I'm pointing oh, yeah. to it on the shelf. Yeah, right there now. it is. Uh, he met everybody in the business and show business and so on. And those people have met the characters and the legends who. Uh, are very colorful and often they'll embellish a little bit but they're not boring yeah. and and that's what uh, all this is uh, gambling is entertainment and uh, and to, to draw uh, colorful things out of people who are uh, in the business is is, uh, is an accomplishment 
in yeah. some ways. So since we're in the gambling book club, gambler's book club in the store, um, I just remember there I was having a look at some rare gambling books, etc. And I noticed on one of the 2 Plus 2 forums um, there were people wanting or selling a copy of uh, Beyond Counting by James Grosjean. <laughs> One of the rarest books, or most expensive. Grosjean is is one of the most brilliant uh, blackjack uh, players and theorists ever, but he's uh, uh, overindulged a little bit on the on the gambling uh, and his own ego. I think I, I even called uh, a man named uh, Narcissian who wrote a book on. Uh, uh, blackjack counters who've been arrested in the law and so on and what the, what's happened in the industry and he couldn't uh, intervene for me we wanted to sell the book but now he's choosing which people are allowed to buy the book yeah I noticed that and the original book uh, Beyond Counting uh, which used to sell for $60 he's now selling for $600 so uh, Gross Gene I, I have never met but I uh, he's, he's one of the strange ones like Ian Anderson not his real name. He's now living in Australia somewhere, and uh, I think he's playing poker. But uh, he wrote uh, "Burning the Tables" in Las Vegas. He he yeah. would appear in disguise, and the gross gene apparently presented the paper up at Lake Tahoe and was uh, dressed in some sort of a strange beekeeper's outfit or something, some some heavy disguise, you know. So uh, each to their own. I guess they like to create a mystique. So I imagine we're going to have somebody come to the poker table in, in a Batman outfit one of these days yeah. if they haven't done it yet. Yeah. The lock is getting there. It's yeah. the others with the with the different outfits to create a mystique of some sort. But yeah. the, the, that's what I can say about Gross Gene. I, I would like him to make the playing field even and let everybody buy the book at a reasonable price. Yeah. That's all. So just to close, like my questions uh, for yourself, Howard, um, if there was three things to do in Las Vegas, um, obviously number one would be visit the Gamblers Book Club. Um, what would the other two be for someone traveling from the UK to do in Las Vegas? I, I think go to a good buffet okay. and 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 sample everything there is and find out what's going on. I think go out to see the dam, uh, the great wonder of uh, of uh, architecture and uh, building and so on. Um, I think go to Red Rocks. You know, you have to get away from the gambling sometime to appreciate uh, life in itself and recognize that gambling, in my opinion, is a as an occupation, as a as an event, or something that's on earth is a, a thimble full of sand on the beach of life in comparison, whatever. So put it in proper perspective. Have have your little flutter, crank your machine, play a few games, participate in everything you can, but then get away from it and realize, smell the roses a little bit, and get out to to where nature is, and it puts it in proper perspective. Yeah, I think that's great advice, and I'll try and follow that. All right, thank you for being here today. It's been an absolute pleasure, Howard. podcast is a production of Gambler's Bookshop and is copywritten under Creative Commons. These podcasts are directed, recorded, and edited by Bill Coveney. Your announcer is Kat. Be sure to visit our website at www.gamblersbook.com or stop by our new location. If you're local, give us a call 
at 702-382-7555. And for those of you who are out of state, call toll-free at 800-522-1777. 